0: You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger here with my co host, Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guests today are Emerson Murray. All right. And Nick Weissend. Hello. Hello, gentlemen.
1: Hey, thanks for having
0: us. Collectively known as Blister Pack.
1: That was a long time ago.
0: <laughs> 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 We're still Blister Pack,
2: though,
0: man. <laughs> all
3: right. Yeah, it's right. fresh <laughs> in our hearts. Absolutely. I mean, that's where we go, that's. That's what we love. We love talking about looking back, especially at the 90s. And Blister Pack was certainly uh, a, a great, legendary project with very few releases, but all just incredible. And as well as the Plague in Perspective label. Now, did you guys both run that label? Yeah.
4: Yeah. For, yeah, we did. yeah. Yeah.
3: I think to be,
2: I, 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 I'm Emerson, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I think I started it because I did noodling and the no-go guy gene was I yeah. think the idea one. Yep. Or yep. I think so. Yeah. And so I kind of started like, you know, just out of not having anywhere else, obviously to publish noodling and the no-go guy this project that, that I was doing, started Plague in Perspective as like the label. And then, Started talking to Sean. Sean is Rend, by the way. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So if we say Sean, we mean Rend. Um, right. And we and
3: we did an episode on Rend's Pure CD. Yeah. Of a year or two ago, probably oh, two yeah. years ago Herber. at this point. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great so, episode,
2: by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, nice. so, yeah,
3: yeah. It was it was exciting, and so we're really excited to get the full PIP world between that episode and this. Now we're really digging in fully. Yeah. So it's, it was basically the three of us. And,
2: um, like I said, I kind of, I kind of just started it and, and that was just sort of like almost, uh, you know, like a placeholder for some kind of real thing that maybe we would do down the line. But what ended up happening is Emerson, you know, Emerson and I were already friends. Sean and I were already friends. Sean at this, Emerson and I were both in the Santa Cruz mountains at this point. Right. I think maybe we were both going to the community, the local community college. Yeah. And we were working at the video store and, and we yes. basically, we went to high school together. Yeah. And so we knew each other sort of not that much during high school, but, yeah. um, it, it, we, we basically got to be really close friends once he started working at the same video store, which, yeah. uh, any kids out there, you're going to have to look <laughs> up on the internet. what a video <laughs> <store is. Yeah. laughs> But, uh, yeah, we used to work at a video store. And so that's like the, the confluence of all the different things, like, you know, the, art and film and noise and like all this stuff. Like it was this hot bed in the Santa Cruz mountains with
3: like two people. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was really curious about. Mm -hmm. So you guys grew up in Santa Cruz, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, in, in the mountain in the area. The, yeah. is, And that's Felton yeah. Is that the, the actual town? That was
1: Boulder Creek And Ben Lomond Is where we grew yeah. up Yeah, well, yeah. Boulder yeah. Creek and, Video Is the store we worked at
3: Dude, I mean yeah. I worked at a video store In high school yes. too Yeah uh, Just a few years Probably after you So that it, I mean Rite of passage For any of us weirdos In yeah. the 90s To work at a video store The greatest thing So, so But we're, so also
5: we're, Just for people To have context For the Santa Cruz Mountains Like it's This isn't like Like a rolling hill Like they are like the times that we've been up there like terrifying twisty turny roads little <laughs> no, pockets like, of communities yeah. like yeah. it's yep. not like easily accessible to you know lots of areas so when we heard no. that's where you guys came from we were like wow how did you find each other uh and so it just like to have a scene there is wild
2: yeah it was the video store and i think you know emmer i think he started out high school as like a football player yeah and then yeah, kind yeah, of like much. degraded over time excellent excellent that I ended up remembering um, being conscious of Emerson as like a human being I might want to talk to is that he was standing outside of one of the classrooms and there was a dude like sticking a, I I can't remember who it was, Emmer, maybe you remember sticking Mm. a safety pin through his ear and he was like screaming because it was, they had just like put the, <laughs> nice. you know, the lighter on it to purify it, so it was like burning through his right and it, the yeah. cinching his flesh or whatever. And I think, do, Emmer, don't you still have like a dead spot from where Shut that? Shut
1: up! Uh, yeah, he teases me about that all the time. I have oh a gray,
2: a gray mark
1: because we. Don't say gray, Mark.
3: That's, that's just one yeah, to gray. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's a good meet cute there. So, so awesome. what year is this? This is like
1: <laughs> high school was – I graduated 89. in 91. Nick graduated in 90. We worked at the video store like right out of high school. Yeah, We had this friendship that basically sort of started at 9 o'clock at night because we were the only two employees, so we worked alternate schedules. So <laughs> – Nine o'clock, we'd run to Taco Bell in Scotts Valley, and then we'd go back and either make art or noise. We were doing all kinds of collages, uh, things like that. It was just like a fury. It was like we were going to die tomorrow or something. We were just, uh, you, you couldn't stop us. And, um, yeah, the video store was pretty rural. It was one of those stores out in the woods where basically if the power went out, which it did whenever the wind blew hard, we still had just as many customers because so many people were living off generators out in the forest. Wow. <laughs> right, right, right. yes. Yeah. yeah, it was like the power goes out and here's flashlights we handed out, literally handed out flashlights for people to rent video. So yeah, it's just wow. that kind of...
2: Yeah, and it's <laughs> still happening. You, It's yeah, it still... still is, like it's badass, bad. like, yeah. There's really, really bad storms right now, like over and over. The, they've been pounded this winter and it's yeah. like, like you were saying, as far as the twisty roads and everything, it's like one tree falls across those twisty. Of course, everybody has a chainsaw and everybody's like mm. ready to go, right? Like <laughs> yeah. you've got a chainsaw on the back of your car. So if a tree falls in front of your car, you just jump out and cut it in half and keep going. Somebody right? in line is gonna is gonna cut that tree. Yeah. I yeah. swear, I swear that there's just to just to bring this back to blister pack, there's something incredibly blister packy about us growing up in the mountains and being that way and having that kind of DIY, not as like a cool thing that you take on when, you know, you grew up in London and you're like, I'm going to do it myself. It's DIY more like I don't have power and I need to watch a movie. So what am I going to do? Or I want to make a zine or collages or any of that kind of stuff. It was like almost out of not desperation. It was more just out of like the desire to do something we were used to doing things ourselves and had some kind of level of skill and ingenuity on like trying to figure stuff out. And that's as soon as we were exposed to noise and started like thinking it was something cool. We're like, let's just do it, you know? And so, obviously so we, what
3: was the exposure to noise and how did that come about?
1: Nick was first. Nick, how did, were you exposed? I,
3: you know, I, I'm trying to remember exactly.
2: Sean was in Eugene at this point. Um, he was trying to go to school, like at whatever the local community college is there. We just gotten back from mi- Minneapolis. we were in Minneapolis for like a summer, but somehow like literally Sean left the day that I got there and I didn't know. I was kind of going out there. He had moved out there with some of our mutual friends and I went to go visit them all. And Sean had left the day before I got there. we had gotten back from that. Sean ended up in landing in Eugene. And I think that like We started getting interested and I don't remember exactly what the impetus was, but obviously someone he was talking to or someone that I was talking to started getting us exposed to like male art and some of like situationism and like some of these like weird ideas that were floating around and stuff. And so we were like starting to get in that and somehow through that and also like between things that we were seeing at college too and different people that we were meeting at college, like ethnomusicology people and stuff like that. They would expose you to kind of like weird things that they had figured out. And so like we started, I think it probably ultimately the noise had some point there that we, someone gave us a compilation or something. Emerson was saying life would begin at 9 PM. We closed the video store. I remember closing the video store and driving from the Santa Cruz mountains to Eugene and just getting there at like, I don't know, like three or four in the morning. And Sean and I would just power through Sorry, we're talking all about Sean. He's not even here. (laughs) This is kind of how the PIP thing started and getting there and and hearing this stuff and just going to Radio Shack as soon as it opened the next day and buying like a mixer and a cheap mic. And and Sean already had some like uh, reel-to-reel tape things set up. So we started doing, you know, splicing stuff and doing loops and stuff like that. And it kind of just went from there. And then I – so I started getting into it and then I went back and like, you know, Emerson –
1: yeah, for me, it was it was a real simple story. I was working at the video store, and Nick had worked the night before, and there was a CD and the CD player, and it was uh, CCCC's um, live album, Dopa, or whatever it's called. It had just come out, and I I hit play on it, and I was like, what the fuck is this? And uh, my boss was like, oh, it's some shit, Scotty was like... Some crap. He was really Scottish, uh, because, by the way. His yeah. nickname was Scotty. And <laughs> yeah, To hear him
2: talk about Japanese noise. <laughs>
1: yeah. And uh, so I was like, what the hell is this? And I just listened to it that night and then we just started talking and we were off and running very quickly.
0: Well, you
3: oh, m- that's so cool.
0: You mentioned things being very DIY, you know, just living in the mountains and also... Being starting being exposed to male art and then also underground Japanese noise, one of those things that we see in that I see in a lot of the plague in perspective stuff is that sort of leaning from male art in terms of the any any means necessary using strange and whatever kind of found junk you have as packaging or as a piece of art. So a lot of the packages, well, all of the packages, right? Were were hand yeah. assembled things. These were all very much made with whatever materials you had at hand. And there right.
1: wasn't a question that it was going to be like that. It was just like, that was, that was just, half of it. That was just as important as the noise was that packaging for yeah. us, because that's sort of, I came from the art world. So it was that just, we didn't even have a choice.
2: Yeah. And we were already doing like collage and stuff like that and using found objects and all that kind of stuff. So we were, that was just in our blood and like noise, noise was awesome because it brought this to me and we knew that like, blister pack versus like maybe our personal things like hive for me uh hive was already kind of like a knob twiddling kind of e- editing heavy effects heavy kind of like collagey kind of thing that was thought out we definitely wanted blister pack to be like immediate like a like a, a live unit it was basically going to be one take and just like this is what we're going to do and we we would just set up everything um before we would record and just go for it. And we we kind of knew like as soon as we had 60 minutes or 90 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever we were aiming for of something we were relatively satisfied with. And that was more like the feeling after we were done performing, that was it. You know, like we didn't go back and do any post-production anything um, as far as tweaking stuff and doing edits and stuff like that. Like I said, that was much more, for me, Hive and for, for Emerson, like Boy With Sickier and... Yeah. Other projects. Yeah, that was fun. It was
1: funny because, Mike, when you asked, you were like, hey, Emerson, you want to be interviewed for the show? And I yeah. said, oh, yeah, sure. That, that sounds great. Okay, I'll do that. And you guys sent over the list of topics. And you said, like, what was the equipment that you were using? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My well, first thought was, was like, it? uh, screams. And I said, so oh, yeah. you're the, I'm in so trouble. The, I, got, I
4: was going to ask who so did you're the, the vocalist. Yeah,
1: I got to call Nick because Nick yeah. is t- I had no clue. I knew that there was a pedal called an attacker that I, I would go, I, Nick, yeah. I want to use the attacker. And then he would string it in and um, we would both scream uh, in my bedroom. And it was just um, all done in the bedroom. And Nick would just chain together all these pedals. Um,
2: all done in the bedroom. Into
1: a four track. <laughs> And I think Probably. most of the recordings were done twice and we just layered them maybe. And,
2: um, Ooh. that was it, but it was, some, mostly, some, it was all scream. Maybe, but I think, I don't know.
3: I, I, I don't get the sense of layering in much blister pack to me. It all feels very, it's so immediate. Yeah. It live. yeah. yeah. And, and
4: it's
5: really distinctive. Like I, if blister pack is on and I walk into a room, which has happened many times, I, instantly know it's
3: it's the pack. screaming though it's it that, is. that's what it is yeah. it's it's that it's that screaming that immediately sends you into the blister pack mm-hmm. world now did you guys do live shows
1: we did one live show nick did some for as high but as blister pack we only did one at a place called Seven Hertz in San Francisco.
4: Oh, oh, you
1: fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we opened open for, for Killer Bug. Killer bug. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, um, of I,
3: Oh my God, I've seen. Yes. Of course, I know the flyer. I've of course, of yes. course, that that's right. We've talked that's about cool. that show. We've talked yeah. about being like, we oh my we God! Who, do you remember who else was on the bill?
1: Oh, Shit, I forgot the guy's name. He was so nice. His name was Joe, I think. <laughs> oh, crawl
3: unit.
1: It was crawl unit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Crawl unit. Yeah. yeah, of course oh, yeah he is very nice. Guy. We were really it's, nervous and he was just yep. so freaking nice. It's on YouTube. Oh, you nice. can find it on YouTube.
3: And, oh um, awesome. We will certainly be finding that. But yes, I do, I can picture the flyer in my head right now. We we love Joe. I think we, we might even Joe have Doug.
0: that flyer. We got a large we, package of ephemera from seven hertz from uh, from Scott Arford.
3: Yeah, he sent us a big pack of old fires. Okay, we got to look for it. Absolutely, no, and we've talked about that. Of course, now it's like all coming back. So, what was the? What did you guys do for the live set? Well, first, let me tell
1: you how we got the show. I'm not exactly sure. Nick seemed to remember this one, but last night we were talking, and it was Mason Jones called me, I think, and said, um, "I don't know if it was him. I I think I guess it was him." And he said something like. I don't know who you guys are. He was kind of, kind of rude or whatever. Like
2: Well, he wasn't but, rude. It was just more like I have just no weird. idea why they're yeah. asking. But Endo from Killer Bug wants you to open for them. And we don't know anything about your weird mountain screaming <laughs> shit happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> like he he likes you and he wants he asked for you to open. He's he's very into you guys. So um, that's how that happened. Yeah. And then we got up
1: met Scott Arford we performed up on this like rickety kind of scaffolding thing and everyone else performed on the floor. We thought that was where everyone else was going to perform. So that was sort of strange. And it was just uh like we did live in the bedroom. It was uh two microphones hooked through a bunch of pedals. And it, it was us just so screaming. romantic
2: when you say that in the bedroom. Like <laughs> yeah.
3: I'm into it. I think I'm yeah. Yeah. really, really into it. it. Screaming Hot. in the bedroom. <laughs> so yeah. what, how would have killer bug heard you at this time? What was out? For him to have heard you for that shirt. was 95
1: so i think that um you know i think a couple of releases would have been out the early ones were so limited but you know maybe he ordered them i didn't but, i didn't you know, know who he was. on a compilation oh yeah or a compilation you know, or, like um, what was on... the big release that we were on trini's Ooh, with the wife. mother savage, the mother savage. Out by that's them. the one yeah. So, that,
2: yeah i mean that mm. we had never heard of him to be totally yeah. honest like we so had me- got, he was really gonna-
1: yeah, he yeah. was pretty new.
2: Like he was new at that point. And there we were some, like,
1: we're gonna open for who? Like well, uh, I mean we but just listened to it and it was
2: like, it's so it's such good quality. We were oh, like, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. There's yeah. no and internet, there's amazing. no way
1: to research. So how are but you gonna research who this guy is? And uh, you had to wait for the next triple R catalog or Ask you know, contact friends. somebody who's in the know. <laughs> yeah, like free internet. We didn't know anyone. That's the other thing. We're in the. You'll notice I'm saying everyone's name's wrong because Nick's the only person I talked to about noise. There was nobody around that to bounce ideas off of or to learn about new projects. We would have to just take these treks to Berkeley to go to Amoeba and see what was there. If something was there, it was there. If it wasn't...
2: I think that you know. was the, probably the case worldwide. And that's the really interesting thing about having this kind of like, being part of this cultural thing that happened pre-internet is that basically there was probably like, 20 people in Osaka that all knew each other and were doing stuff. There was like the right, Bay Area right. scene that like we mm-hmm. knew each other and we're talking. There was probably some in LA. There was, you know what I mean? And it was, it. there was something that was really awesome about it in that sense. Um, I mean, obviously now like you could do something and just get it out to thousands of people, millions of people, um, instantaneously. But I think that almost like that weird, like, I don't know, there was. I'm not going to say it's more legitimate or something, but having gone through that and and being like, we were, we basically stopped <laughs> right before it got really easy to distribute your stuff. So we were like mm-hmm. cassettes and like, now cassettes are like so cool. Everybody loves cassettes. Oh, this is so rad. You know, like um, it, it's so neat to like, you know, we wanted vinyl. We were like vinyl would be the ultimate thing for us to be able to to do. And like, it's relatively easy now just because everything's become so like, refined and artisanal that you can put an order in on the internet and have your stuff cut. Not, not, you know, but I don't know. It's here's
1: how remote it was too, is, is we, I learned years later, like in the two thousands, that Merspo played in Santa Cruz in like nineteen ninety, and we didn't even know. It was like ninety or ninety one. Oh yeah. so, god. Well, so
3: that that's what I wanted to ask you guys. Like, did were you guys seeing shows? Did you were you going to the barrier to see yeah. shows? Were you tapped into what might be happening close? Obviously, like you said, Merspaw played and you didn't even realize At it Santa was, Cruz, yeah,
1: we didn't even know till twenty years later, ten was years later. There, so remember,
3: did yeah. you guys go to the barrier for shows and yeah. If so, what was the first proper noise show that you can recall going to? Proper? I don't know. We went and saw The Boredoms. Sh- I think, you know. Mm-hmm. Then, and that, that was because
1: was... Uh, we were writing letters. I was writing letters to Yoshimi back and forth. And so we that's how we heard about that show. Yeah, Marispo. I don't remember how we heard about that show. That was in San Francisco. You went
3: to that one?
1: Yeah. I don't even remember with, where it was.
3: Was that the one with Masana at the bottom of the hill? Or was it uh, before that? Yeah, I think it was uh, that one.
1: Wait, Masana didn't play with Marispo that we saw, Nick, because remember Maybe we arrived at the Marispo show.
3: Yeah, we saw Masana Soul Mania tour. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, we saw that. Yeah. And, then,
2: and then I think we saw uh, Marispo was at the bottom of the hill, but it might have just been, it might have had some opener that we didn't care about. We got
1: but, we got there late, and so he was already playing. it was
2: playing. so loud. Yeah. <laughs> the pressure. You it know made what I mean? My chest like, hurt. I've, seen the yeah. I've seen every like legendary like, but mm-hmm. the amount of pressure from and yeah. that's I just the sun, that just saw sun
1: and they had, it was like Marisbo still just hurt your guts.
5: Yeah, when great. you get the like wind we, knocked I mean, out of you him, from the sound, we saw yeah.
3: him a few years ago, a couple times, and it was just as. You know, loud and amazing as mm-hmm. as the stories yeah. we've heard from those uh, early '90s shows and the mid '90s shows. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So you did. So you, you did go there and saw some some killer stuff. We saw Violent Onsen on uh, on on Geisha and uh, Nippon on uh, Carolina, like pretty oh, Carolina. often. I don't know
2: Carolina. if you guys killer. know Carolina. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. oh yeah. oh yeah. We've. Yeah, and then we knew that we were talking about this last night too. But we we both knew. I don't know if you know Dame Darcy, who's. Yeah. Yep. She, so she was in Carolina and she's also like a comic artist for Fantagraphics and everything else. And like we knew her um, just from because she's like she was around Santa Cruz. I think she did she go to UCSC for
1: I don't remember. No, she just, I, I I think she just went to college yeah. in
2: San Francisco. Um, but like w- one of our friends dated her and stuff like that. So like we knew her and we had seen Carolina like multiple times, but we did not know she was in Carolina somehow. Yeah. yeah. And really? so, um, who else? Emmer? The runes. The I mean,
1: I runes love came to meeting. Santa Cruz. <laughs> the, yeah. I don't know if it's called the runes or runes. Remember they came right. to Santa Cruz.
3: <laughs> right. Right. Oh, they did. So what? So were there many shows in Santa Cruz, or once in a while you'd get something, and it was like, oh my god. It, it was always basically yeah.
2: yeah. It was basically you were going to either San Jose or San Francisco. Usually San Francisco, and that was that was really due to like Mason, um, kind of you know like. Obviously, his efforts and and his whole crew or whatever, but mostly Mason I think was a lot of the reason why we got a lot of that and that was awesome. He really did a huge service to a lot of people and i I hope that uh he knows that it was pretty pretty amazing, like what he bringing all these people from Japan and like so basically uh taking a risk for something that he believed in and bringing it to people it really you know I think it changed a lot of people's lives so Oh no question. Mm-hmm. I mean, he curated
3: yeah. the Japanese American Noise Treaty, which is one of the right. most yeah. important documents. You, you know, we had him on earlier this year talking about that, and and we were telling him that basically, like, you are a huge part of why this stuff got out there so much. And mm-hmm. you know, like you guys said, you were in the Mount Strange Mountain towns. Tara and I were in Kentucky. There were all these little pockets that were happening, and it was all these homegrown. One of us would discover, you know, discover this CD and you start playing it for your friends and and, and then it just starts building. From and there. it's
5: amazing how like the most obscure thing can become like a hit among your friends, you know?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, as we're Literally, talking yeah. to you guys, you're both in your studios, right? So I, I, well, I see artwork behind you, Emerson and Nick. We see a lot of uh, the tools of your trade behind you. One of the things that's not necessarily a a blister pack or plague and perspective release, but that you're credited on is asset without liability, Nick, for doing the artwork. Yeah. Oh yeah. Was that f- from being in touch with the incapacitants? Was that I know that it's a, a bulb and time stereo release. Were you in touch with Davin Brainerd from Princess Dragon Mom at that time? Because uh, he he used to run a record store in Michigan called Record Collector, and that's where I bought the Hive. Double tape. Oh, so God, that that's a cool.
2: weird loop, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah,
0: no, it was just from Timikawa,
2: Mikawa-san. Um, hmm. It was, yeah, like I, I sent him that collage because, like I said, Emerson and I were we were just basically just doing art and all this kind of stuff all the time, and I just sent him that in one of my letters. Like, again, this whole, again, the, the mail art part of it and the exchange of physical things, like tapes being a physical thing, packaged in a particular way and sending them out blindly to people we didn't know, but they were doing, but that we were interested in and wanted to make friends with. All right, I mean, there's no equivalent to that. Again, I'm, I'm sounding like a super old man right now, but like, there's no equivalent that to that today because, because of the internet, there's no level of anticipation for things um, because everything is, you know, every kind of like whim that you have can be gratified so easily that Emerson and always talk about like, Seeing uh, KTVU, like our local, the Bay Area, like independent TV channel, would show like Ray Harryhausen movies and stuff like that, and we'd be waiting. Oh, Sinbad's gonna play, and you'd like put it on your calendar. Yeah. Emerson, Emerson, tell the, tell about what your dad did. Oh, yeah, for that
1: Frankenstein movie he came and pulled me out of third grade and said, Oh, yeah, something's, something's wrong. And I saw that my teacher, like, I'm so sorry, and brought me over and they took me out of class. And my dad's like, yeah you wanted to see that Frankenstein movie? It's on at three o'clock today.
5: Oh, my God.
4: <laughs> oh, it, was my like God. Um... it was
1: like the worst movie, too. It was like that one where it was a Japanese one where it grows giant and it's like a little kid. Yeah, it was a terrible really. <laughs> movie, but I had to pretend like it was wonderful. Yeah, it's just. That kind of thing. The other thing is, is that it wasn't just Nick sending artwork to Mikawa. It was that we, we were writing back and forth with Mikawa. We were sharing our releases and, and people were so generous in sharing their releases with us. So you'd write him a letter or whatever. And it wasn't uh, just him. We were also writing with Masami Akita back and forth. We were um, I also had a radio show on KUSP in and, and Santa Cruz that played uh, Noise. And so we would ask for releases for that. And Alchemy started sending all of their releases anytime wow. something came out. So like we were just writing Jintaro from Girl, Gary, Gay, Gay, Gay. It was, I used to write to him all the time. In the 2000s, we started writing back and forth again. That was weird. Oh, wow. <laughs> Crazy. Wow,
2: what do you awesome. mean by that was weird,
1: Emmer? We were started writing emails back and forth. He had disappeared for a time. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then... He reappeared, and I was like, "Are you okay? Is everything cool?" and uh he just started writing we were writing like every other day back and forth and uh uh he seemed to be fine but um yeah, it's just crazy uh at that time we were writing with all sorts of different people all over the world and, uh,
2: the other thing that i f- that we I forgot to mention when we were talking about the whole like Bay Area noise thing is that we had um Anis and Fujii from the noise label the taiwanese noise label Mm
4: -hmm.
2: you know that Mm -hmm. one with the beautiful like we knew their stuff and some so like we sent them um you know our stuff and they would send us their tapes and they wrote to us and they're like we're going to come to the united states and study like somewhere like i guess near the bay area and we we didn't really know exactly where they were going We ended up they were in sacramento which they were really disappointed to find out wasn't very close to San Francisco. Oh, yeah, not at all. (laughs) And they couldn't, you know, they didn't have any kind of driving and stuff like that. So Emerson and I would go get them. We'd go pick them up in Sacramento and we'd take them to Berkeley to like Amoeba and whatever uh, Rasputin, Rasputin and the other record yeah. stores, and yeah.
0: they were so rad. They were the That's sweetest so cool. That's people.
5: That is fantastic.
4: Well,
0: and you yeah. are on the NoiseNet number three comp, right? Blister Pack is on a, a so. noise yeah,
1: compilation. Yeah, yeah, we're on the, one of the compilations, and we were in uh, their little magazine that they did, like their Which Zine. Is kind so of zine cool. Magazine. I love that, their
3: magazine. That, that so cool. There's an. They a have an archive up
0: mm-hmm. where
3: all, if not all the issues, most of the issues are up there. And then we just run it through a translator. Uh, and yeah, it's, when it, we started yeah, doing I, this I, podcast, I, that
5: was one of the first things I did was download as many as I could find. Yeah, it's, awesome. Yeah,
3: but we don't have physical copies. Yeah, I think we
5: don't have, like, number three. There's a
3: few, I think, that aren't up there, but I think yeah. they archived it or someone, you know, it's it's up there, like, officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a bunch but, of
1: them. I'll have to look to see on the archive. Oh, my are
5: like
3: missing? Oh, yeah, that's, that's so funny. cool. Yeah, there's
5: not scans of everything.
3: Do, do so. you recall some of the other special packaging tapes that got you excited at that time that you guys were doing it? I mean
1: the thing is is you would find the stuff at Amoeba in Berkeley and like it never fit in the racks. They had to bank the they had their shelves above and it was just the noise section was just stuffed, or I forgot what yeah, it, it was like wasn't a, called like, noise. There'd be like weird a, stuff, a bloody but...
2: doll arm sticking it. You know, yeah. All the other LPs and CDs are like totally like <laughs> uniform and nice. And then <laughs> the noise section, experimental section, there would have like, experimental. like a, a bloody doll arm and like some kind of weird it you know, like, I don't know. You didn't like know what was a bootleg. Anything,
1: you didn't know what was a bootleg. I remember I, when, I bought a Mares Bow thing. <laughs> it was like this plastic tray that was like, Kind of pressed out, and then it just had a big vagina on the cover. Yeah, it's, of the, it's
3: hey, that that's the Smellenquim Quim a uh, Merzbau seven inch. Well, and that's uh, no, this especially. is a cassette. Yeah, this is a cassette. Oh, oh, and so is it, I wrote is to it,
1: him, and I was like, "Is this real? Or is this? Oh. is this a bootleg?" And he said, "No, it's an official release, a hundred copies." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. wow! Okay, oh, I that, guess man, yeah, that's an official release." So that
3: that might have been it. Might have been Metal Madman because because yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Metal packs, Madman Metal Madman because it. it was Stinky Horsefuck because. Because Walklet had access to a vacuum seal, you know. So the Smell and Quim Christmas tape has the Smell and Quim mm-hmm. logo out. Then the Merzbaugh Smell and Quim 7-inch has that, the Metal Madman. So he, he had access to a, a va- vacuum form. That's yeah. what I'm looking that's for. That's what it word and, yeah, and, yeah. he, and he was able to do that. So a bunch of the stinky horse fuck stuff has that. But yeah, th- that's one of the great... Special packaging labels. I'm literally looking right now at Cosmic Bondage with the Barbie Yeah, doll. with the doll. I can uh, just imagine it yeah. sticking out of the stacks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> no, it's just that, that to me is still so exciting looking at special packaging and especially back then, the, the work that went into it and just the excitement and just the thing that noise can do that other things can't. You can do these great packages, edition of 50, edition of 20, edition of 10. Who cares? Yeah. But yeah. part of it, it, it all is part of the atmosphere of the tape. Well, yeah. and speaking yeah. of
0: additions, you know, if you look at the plague and perspective discogs, there's a couple things missing. There's plague and perspective two and four, which are yeah, some not of them we listed.
1: One was Sean no. was going to do something and it didn't happen. And then the other one, we just don't talk about. There's
2: a, there's an edi- addition <laughs> there of one that Sean has, right? Like, and this was, I think something, it might, yeah. it might be PIP two was the, it edition is. of one that i it's a hive release and um i think sean has it i'll have to ask him he just got back from japan um so he's like super jet-lagged and weirded out but i'll ask it we both live in seattle sean and i and um. then Emma lives down there still down in the in the mountains well not quite the mountains the but valley yeah the civilized mountains <laughs> there you go um <laughs> Yeah, that, and I, what, what's the foremer? It's so
1: the one we don't talk about, the split that you and I did. Oh, yeah. Because it's controversial. The, yeah, the name of the band.
4: Oh, oh, we, oh you know what? Uh,
3: we'll just, just leave it, it out. into the mysterious air. No yeah. one will Can I ask ever Emerson, know.
1: Emerson, like, did we release that? Yeah, we did. And Donna Clam ordered a ton of them. Yeah. She like ordered pretty much the whole the whole run. The first one was done. Remember, it was like that cement stuff with broken mirrors on the cover. Yeah. An addition of 10. And then we did an addition of 50 in a paper sleeve. Oh, Christ.
3: So I know a label that you guys were in contact with at the time is Artwear. Do you remember how you guys got in touch with Artwear? And tell us about that.
1: I think Nick wrote to Donna Clam after a couple we found a couple of the releases and we were like we're kind of like-minded she's got a lot of uh, japanese stuff on this label there's a lot of other stuff mm-hmm. pretty a very international label
2: a, bit, a lot the, of different and the types of, the of European stuff. stuff like the new new blockaders yeah. and things like that that we were kind of feeling were but like, nick wrote to her and and she and, an incre- i swear yeah. i still have the letters i um that that she wrote to me the nicest most supportive like human being there was a lot of these contacts were just sort of like oh awesome noise you know you guys are awesome you know but like somehow i had like a correspondence going with her that like i felt and i i remember this is kind of weird and i don't know if it's just because i i found out yesterday that she died recently after like us kind of having not stopped stop talking to her um But like, I remember her kind of maybe sharing something about how things are, I don't know what happened or whatever, like what the context was of her, of her passing. But um, yeah, that is just very interesting. Um, We had such a a nice exchange and such an, I have such pleasant memories of her letters
1: and how supportive she was of what we were doing. She was supportive of the radio show. She used to send me packages just with everything that they were releasing, even older stuff all the time. I mean, just so nice so we always had that And it was such a it was so opposite from a lot of um labels and noise artists that were you know really twisting towards the dark i remember you know the some of the letters from joe from mother savage were like hey here's how you um you make it so nobody can identify a corpse and here and here's a list of instructions and we're like cool thanks joe that we'll, we'll save that you know we yeah. are in the serial capital uh serial
3: killer capital of the world but yeah that's mm. the, Good information to have, my friend. So <laughs> Sounds about right. Well, you, yeah. know, you you did bring him up, and obviously one of the classic blister pack tapes <laughs> is the Mother Savage tape. How did you end up getting in touch with Joe? Did you write him first? Did he write you? What was that, what was that like?
1: Nick and him corresponded a lot. He used to write Nick these long, long letters.
2: Yeah, yeah. And cut, I talked to him on the phone quite a bit, too. And it was kind of like Emerson said, it was a, a, maybe at times a little bit overwhelming his kind of take on the take on the world and like the the reason he was interested in it there's i think there's a lot of people that are interested in um noise for, obviously everybody's interested in noise for a different reason right there's some people who are coming it to coming to it from like grindcores not hard enough like it's just it's just too mm. musical and too melodic or like no matter how crazy grindcore or you know, death metal, black metal, any of that kind of stuff. It's just not hard enough. Like, let's take out everything and reduce it down to this point. Then there's people I think who come to it kind of a little bit more from the artistic perspective of it being, like, super DIY, maybe more of, like, the what's called metal machine music, kind of like the Lou Reed, like, artsy kind of, like, reduction of music, like, from an artsy kind of thing. And I think we kind of came to it more from the sort of artsy, uh, punk rock kind of like angle rather than the really like dark, although, uh, you know, like obviously you can see from the books that like my partner here has written that he, he also, uh, we, you know, there's that sensibility in there too, of this, like um, things that we're interested in, but blister pack in particular, I think was m- really about like punk rock without even the three chords. And, like, that was kind of the idea is just, like, we wanted to be able to just get up there immediately and perform. And that that we thought – because we saw Masona and we were like, that's yeah. amazing. Like, the dude has, a has like, a, you know, like, a secret – not secrets what is it called? Altoids. You, yeah, Altoids yeah, the Altoids box. thing, yeah. Like, an Altoids box with a contact mic on it and some quarters in it or some yen. And, like, is shaking it and just doing, like, the yeah. most amazing – Visit Physi- the physicality of it and all that kind of stuff versus, like, again, maybe sort of the uh, intellectual kind of r- more reserved. Um, well, I gotta say, yeah. of, like Masami yeah. Akita, yeah. who's like, you know, he's sort of like uh, you feel like he's Stoic. very intellectual. He's a yeah. writer. Yeah. You know, he's a researcher. He does like a lot of work Um, that's very well thought out and very collagey, whereas. Like, you get Masona, and again, he he also was someone who came from a very rural place, fairly rural place. I remember seeing that, you know that Omoro video? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, the little his house. They show show, like his house, like, (laughs) they're out on on a boat, and they show like where his house is with a little arrow, and he's like in the middle of, you know, in the middle of nowhere like us. And so we're like, that's awesome. And There was something very (laughs) clear about his frenetic energy in his recordings, even
1: before we saw him live. That we yeah. said, we want that wild, frenetic energy, but we want it fuller. So, I mean, it, it sounds like saying, oh, my favorite artist is Picasso. You know, it sounds a little clumsy or whatever, but really it, it was Marisbo and uh, Mazona mixing the two of this frenetic energy. But at the same time, I just, you know, Mick was doing Hive where he's standing at the table, twisting the pedals. And I was like, I just can't see myself doing that. I, I got to move and I, I got to do something, and so it was sort of a blending of, of those two. Is really the blister pack sound sort of came from, and that it, it sounds a little oversimplified, but really I th- for me, that's what no, I. No, that's
2: that's it. Yeah. That's, so, the, no, so I hope that
3: answers
1: your question about Joe from. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, that's how we were just are convo. It's going to go all different places, but yeah. a place I do want to go because it did come up, and it's something that we are very excited about is. Emerson's books and in case for anyone who doesn't know, Emerson has two incredible books, one on Bruiser Brody, the legendary wrestler, and another one, the most recent one, Murder Capital of the World, as has been referenced, is where you guys grew up in Santa Cruz. And in the early 70s, (laughs) there were multiple serial killers and crimes. And it's what led to it being dubbed Murder Capital of the World. And then famously, in the movie Lost Boys, right? That's on the the yeah, on the, the fake yeah. the fake town, yeah. but it is Santa Cruz, right? The that yeah it was filmed in, but mm-hmm. whatever it's called in Lost Boys, they
1: call it Santa Carla or Santa Carlo or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
3: so I definitely want to get into your interest and collecting of the material for this book because this is a thick, thick book that covers so much ground and so many different citations quotes artifacts documents so much <laughs> stuff compiling here something you said that you've been working on and collecting for 30 some years basically. Oh, right? yeah,
1: pretty much my whole life. I can remember. So yeah, Santa Cruz had a, a mass murderer, John Lindley Fraser, sort of a famous big mass murder occur here in 1970. And then very quickly followed, we had two active serial killers in this small little little town. And so that's what the book bu- book is about and how we got dubbed the murder capital of the world at the time. So uh yeah, that's what it follows. it I've been researching it my whole life. Basically, I can remember my grandma having newspaper clippings from the Fraser crimes when I was a little kid in kindergarten, reading through those and um, with my foster brother. And uh, yeah, also the personal connection, my dad's. Uh, one of his close friends was murdered by Herbert Mullen, who was one of the serial killers. So it was just a topic we always talked about. It was never like a secret or, or forbidden topic. It was just something we talked about in the house and kind of knew, oh, dad's friend, Jim. Yeah, he was murdered by Herbert Mullen. And uh, of course, that's intriguing to all the, the little grommets in the valley, in San Lorenzo Valley. So yeah. Um, we, I used to just talk about it all the time, and it slowly progressed. I always thought, oh, man, it would be a great TV show. It would be a great movie. It would be a great something. And I wrote that Bruiser Brody book, which di- also started as a documentary. Eventually, I, I went and saw uh, one of the sheriff's, deputy sheriffs who had investigated the Edmund Kemper crimes speak. And I thought, oh, my God, this crowd is getting old. These people are all like in their 90s. If I'm going to do something, I got to do it now. So uh, that's how the book how I started writing the book. And yeah, it just came out a couple of years ago
3: and did you did you actually interview either mullen or kemper
1: i didn't interview kemper he never responded to my letters and which is fine because there's so many interviews with him but Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. he he had no problem talking in that for hours. Of course, we've mentioned anyone who's interested in anything on Ed Kemper. There is plenty of oh god, you just go to YouTube, you know.
1: Herbert Mullen, I did. We corresponded back and forth. I made it super clear, like uh, Herb, I'm not your friend. I'm here. Uh, As an investigator, and um, I will, and we sort of had this deal where he would give me stories. He wouldn't talk about the crimes, but he'd give me stories, and I would answer his questions about what's going on in Santa Cruz because he remembers it very clearly as if it was yesterday. He was locked up when he was so young. So he's saying, Oh, what's going on with, you know, uh, McDonald's grocery store, and what's going on with all, you know, very specific things. And so I would answer his questions, and he'd answer mine. And, and I eventually went and visited him uh, in, in Mule Creek Prison, and that was strange and weird. And he just died, just like two months ago, right. I think, a couple months ago. Yeah. yeah, recently.
3: So this is a this book is just a vast collection of so much stuff. In in a way. In set up like an oral history but it's also set up a little differently you're giving years is when the quotes are which I find helpful Mm -hmm. a lot of times oral histories don't necessarily do that they just go how long did this take to put together Uh, it came real quick
1: because it's really you you know because of COVID I was home uh, and uh, I just started and everyone else was home so I was just started calling people and assembling information the other thing is is as Nick knows the, the community is so small. I'd go to the grocery store. All you'd have to do is start talking to one person and somebody would overhear you and say, Oh yeah, my dad was an investigator on that. Oh really? What's your phone number? Um, <laughs> the, up the street, I go to the postal annex and this guy was like, Oh my God, my mom lives in that house. She lives in the Oda house where the, the mass murder took place. Wow. It's just, and literally my neighbor who I could throw a rock at their house right down the street. Uh, her uh, husband who has since passed away was a UCSC um, grad student doing an internship at the the county uh, public defender's office and interviewed Mullen when Mullen wouldn't talk to psychologists or to law enforcement. Wow. Wow. And so she gave me this document. She said, I don't know whose handwriting this is. And I was like, holy shit, that's Herbert Mullins. I've been writing him letters. So I've got this document nobody else has ever seen of uh, basically him filling in this timeline of his life. So it, it, everything came, it was the opposite with Bruiser Brody where these old wrestlers didn't want to talk, you know, they're like, yeah, are you going to pay me? Yeah, and yeah with yeah. this, yeah. the information just came flooding in and it was more of parsing the stories that Nick and I heard growing up about, Oh, he did this and did that and this happened and this happened versus what really happened. So I've, it, I was just buried in an avalanche of information Um, And also I learned from the Bruiser Brody book. I started writing the book right in in InDesign and just started. And, And thanks for saying that about the years and the quotes. Most people haven't noted that, but I thought it was important because somebody like Edmund Kemper his story changes drastically when he, you know, was first arrested in Pueblo, Colorado about, hey, I did this, this, and this. And then suddenly he's talking to the public defender, not suddenly, but he talks to the public defender later and suddenly his story changes now that he's put in an insanity to plea. And he's like, right. oh yeah, I, I ate eyeballs and I'm eating these girls. And then years later when he's on having a parole hearing, his story changes again where, you know, oh yeah, no, no, that, I, that was all lies. But I thought, I felt like, Nobody knows, you know, other than uh, CSI, you know, investigations, you don't know what happened between this killer and his victims in his room, you know, his bedroom and Mm -hmm. in his car. Mm -hmm. All we have is his testimony. But if the story changes, there's value in putting all three versions and sort of you parse through, you know, understanding the circumstances of where his life is at and the external forces on on why he would change his story. So uh, I just felt like. you get a well-rounded story, right? And
3: Mullen obviously changes a lot. Uh, So tell me about the process about actually going to see Mullen in prison.
1: So, yeah, you just got to get a letter. You got to get all these forms filled out. It's sort of interesting because you have to decide between like business or it was something like you're a lawyer, you're this, you're this, or you're a friend. So you have to put friend. And I was like, damn it, I have to put friend. So it's sort of like Facebook, you know, defining what friends are, but, so the California Department of Corrections, you know, defines me and Mullen as friends. So I had to put friend down, which was weird. And um, you just fill out the application. I went there, it's super industrial. All the everyone that worked at the prison just seemed very tired and grumpy and angry. But all of like the prison girlfriends and moms were so sweet and they helped me out and like, oh, figure this out and go oh, get these chits, you know, that you got to put
4: uh-huh.
1: a, get this to get the food. And and everyone, I was just this, you know, bumbling idiot. And and they all helped me out. And uh, the paperwork is fine. You go in st- into the institution. And and then you go into what looks like sort of a kindergarten playroom, because um, the tables, they're normal sized chairs, and then all the tables are super low. And you're like, and then there's like these guards and sort of not a tower, but sort of on this podium, they're kind of up high looking at everyone. And there's like 10 different tables around and the prisoners come out and you can hug them or shake their hand or whatever. And you have to sit across from them. And I was like, my friend's a prison guard. So I asked him, I said, why the hell are the tables so low? And he's like, oh, so people aren't passing contraband or giving mm-hmm. hand yeah. jobs. And I was like, oh, shit, that's pretty disgusting. Okay. So, uh, and then um, there's vending machines, but I had to go buy him his microwavable chicken sandwich and his Dr. Pepper. And it's like $7. And he was like, oh, this is the best food. This is so good. And I was like, wow. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad you're in prison. Uh, <laughs> The strangest thing, this is sort of off topic, I don't know, is it was near Christmas and there was this uh, picture on the wall, if you want to get your picture taken, and there was like this backdrop and it was um, sort of a Thomas Kinkade kind of little village in the snow, real pretty in the snow and so we went and got our picture taken in, in front of that and oh we're, my you know, God. we're all serious and kind of kind of weird and he was kind of freaking out like he didn't know how to smile he's like and he said that i was like what, what's the matter and he said i don't know how to, to smile for pictures anymore because nobody visits him. nobody visited him really mm-hmm. um so then he kept having a side sort of talking to himself and twitching and and i've said finally i said her what what's the deal what's going on and and he was pointed at the thomas Kincaid village the little smoke coming out of the chimney it looked all cozy and pretty and and he said it looks i'm paraphrasing i have the quote somewhere but it looks real cozy in there but where we are it would be cold and it wouldn't be comfortable and i thought holy shit who does that who looks at a painting and sees themselves on the outside from... The painter's perspective. Uh, Every human I've ever met puts themselves in the cottage. Every human puts themselves in that cozy car. That's what you're meant to do. And he, the ultimate outsider is standing where the painters stand. It's like looking at the Mona Lisa and saying, well, what lens do I have on here? And how far away am I standing from her? People don't do that. And he was looking, I've never seen anyone do this. I've never heard. I've talked to psychologists. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah, about the ultimate outsider is how I think of it. Like, he put himself out there in the snow looking into the cottage where the rest of wow. us are. were in the cottage. Yeah, it was weird. Wow. It was really weird. Wow. Yeah. So did
3: you only do that the one time?
1: Yeah, the one time. I always meant to go back. You run out of things to talk about. He's really into, like, wolves that sort of leave their area and he sort of tracks them and he's into um, astronomy and math. Like he he sent me all this paperwork on Euclid's triangle of a triangle, which I still don't understand. But uh, he was uh, really into that. He wanted me to send him articles about certain like wolves, like the number of the wolves, you know, like number 642 has Mm -hmm. left his area and he's 100 miles away from where he normally should. Like he was way into that kind of stuff. So,
3: wow. So what do you... A tribute to santa cruz at that time this could oh, be for shit. either of you guys for what all came together to make it what it was in the early and mid 70s
1: yeah man i don't know willie sutton ed kemper always quotes willie sutton where he says why did you rob the bank so because that's where the money is and ed kemper mm-hmm. used to say oh yeah it was a smorgasbord
2: which is a huge thing to a certain extent emmer like you could answer this question kind of like by what you know like why did our parents end up there i don't know maybe so much i couldn't speak to because i haven't lived there for almost 30 years well not 25 at least but at that time it was a really really weird mix of like people like my parents who bought you know who were sort of from the bay area and it was basically like a beautiful place that you could buy property pretty cheap and start a life there and still work like maybe in San Jose or even San Francisco and commute um, or um, historically it had been like a bunch of loggers oh, and lo- in like, like yeah. rednecks and then there was sort of like rajneesh like mm-hmm. hippie kind of culty things and then there was bikers yeah. like hardcore bikers who were like uh, get into trouble, like go cool out in the mountains of Santa Cruz. Kind and of drugs deal. were
1: drugs were so readily available. With Mullen, you know, he lost his mind to LSD, and and it just worsened his schiz- Whoops, worsened his schizophrenia and everything. Uh, and
3: Frazier with the mescaline. Yep,
1: Frazier had the same thing. Yep, he was. he's claimed it was a car accident, but really, it was, He had also done a bunch of drugs too. So,
3: yeah, just changed him.
1: It's just a weird area. Peter Chang, who was the district attorney at the time, said, How many areas are there where y- you can be in the middle of a bustling city and five minutes later be in the forest where nobody can hear you or see you or find you? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just yeah. a, di- a different kind of community. So, mm-hmm. Uh, there's all of that and, and tensions were hot, like Nick said, between sort of those old redneck families and the youth movement was hot at that time. They, what had happened, one thing that happened was they changed the, uh, the welfare law. So you didn't have to live or collect your check in the area. You could have a that you were lived and registered you could have your checks sent somewhere else so a lot of people moved to santa cruz is beautiful you know and um we're getting their welfare checks sent here so a lot of young people had moved and sort of latched onto that trick that's sort of a more specific answer to to a broader question but yeah it was just a very unusual time and an unusual place
3: so fascinating and yeah this this murder capital the world book is just it's incredibly thick, incredibly detailed and, you know, tons of, tons of pictures, tons of info and highly recommend it. Of course, have to shout out to Pat O'Neill is the person who had told me about the book. You guys are both visual artists as well as we've referenced. Emerson, you're a predominantly a painter and Nick, you're predominantly a sculptor. Is that accurate? Do you guys both dabble in the other thing or is it pretty? compartmentalized you do sculpture nick and emerson you do painting how do you how do you guys work in visual art individual i'm not
1: like i'm now doing uh zines again i'm doing a fucking romance zine right now so uh,
2: exactly where we started you know what i mean like i was looking i was thinking about that and i was like wait dude you're making zines again like (laughs) do you know what i mean yeah Mm -hmm. i love it great yeah Yeah, no it's it's and it's like it's again I don't know if Emerson ever explained that or talked talked about that at all, but like, had I think the impetus for that project in particular was like the recent advances in AI and yeah, like yeah, ChatGPT yeah. and stuff like that, and like the way that that sort of infringes a little bit on um, the space of creative people, and I think like you know that you've been like. Chat GPT, make me a picture of an old lady smoking a cigarette, and then like thirty seconds later, this is like photorealistic. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh, like yeah. How, yeah. Like how, like obviously, it's stealing, the thing is, it's stealing. Like, it.
1: It's stealing from something art, else. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Don't want to bring up what is art, Emma. Yeah, yeah, of course. Sorry, place in Santa Cruz that we're yeah. that's the place Emerson or that, that Maresbow play that we didn't know about and we tried to play there a million times it was, or is the Bullhead,
1: I can't remember what it was called, but I think it's the same place. I, I don't know.
2: Anyway, yeah. Like that that whole I mean, that whole um phenomenon of of uh AI coming into this realm where it basically can kind of like simulate creativity or something. It's sort of like I mean. It's always been the case when ever since Jackson Pollock was exhibited that like someone, some layman would walk up and be like, I can do that. And it would be like, Well, then go at, well, why didn't you? Like mm-hmm. what you know, and so I think that again, noise, just like Emerson said, it's sort of like what you bring to the table. Um, you might have been able to do that, but you didn't. And I did, and I brought it and you do what you want with it, right? So it's basically this sort of like um <laughs> invitation to autonomy for both part. If it, for me, in my creation of this thing, and for you as my audience, my listener or whatever, bring whatever you want to it. But it, it's it's my um, offering to you to uh, be free and do what you want to do and what or think about what you want to think about as related to this work. You know, that there's, there isn't that kind of constraint. There's no timing, there's no beat, there's no, you know, scales or any of those things that are formally, um, formally, uh, in, you know, involved with music and musical theory and stuff like that. But, and that's kind of the weird thing is it's, it's like, is, is noise music or is noise art, right? Is it, and it's kind of falls in that weird gray zone. So it's always really, really hard to talk to people who don't know anything about it, like, um, I'd cancel an appointment and I was trying to tell, tell the person that I was canceling it. Like oh, I used to do this thing and I'm like, is it art? Is it music? You know, do I say it's, it was an art thing. It was a music thing. Is it, you know what I mean? Obviously it's both, but probably couldn't put it better than an invitation to, to see what you can see in it.
3: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I like and I'll tell you what, I, I think maybe an entire generation did not see Terminator two because I'm terrified of all this stuff. So I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think we, I don't know. Terminator one. Well, either one, but two is really when the, you know, Skynet awesome. that's like, right. I'm absolutely terrified yeah. about what's going to happen, but we are still here. We're all still going. What are you guys doing now currently in music in noise in art in writing etc what do you guys have going on in the modern times
1: uh right now i'm schlepping books i uh i was doing some noise i did a, a, a split with mikawa i did a split with um uh, richard ramirez a couple of things that was a few years ago though but lately yeah i've just been painting i'm going to be in a couple of art shows Um, and then I just made some zines. I literally just got them printed yesterday and, um, it's sort of a, Hey, enter these things in AI, AI steals from artists, uh, and puts together these things. And then I repaint them and steal them back. Fuck you, AI and, uh, sort of comic zine thing. So these paintings and then, um, but the images are not linked at all in the zine, but then the story, it's all confused. I didn't really know what I was doing, but, uh, which is where I like to be. So, um, you can go to emersonmurray.com and, and look, and look, if you're interested. Um, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Yeah.
3: And then the project potioned
1: as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. potioned. that was with Matt Widener. Matt Widener was from, um, uh, like, uh, citizen and Creighton. we've been friends since high school as well. He went to high school. He was a few years younger than, than Nick and myself. And, um, he was in my brother's grade. And, uh, so we've been friends and did it were game we always were gaming buddies together, and um I did i actually i painted the painting for um the cover of the Cretan album. he was in cretan uh stranger, and uh so we just started recording potion together, and that's more like ambient kind of things, just okay. real Simpy real stuff. slow, yeah, what did
2: you say, synthy
1: yeah, yeah, more like kind of synth yeah you know, like sizes. guitars and yeah, and me moaning rather than screaming, that kind of stuff, but it's real slow and and um distorted uh and that's fine the cover no people don't know this but the cover is actually uh my parents um on the potion that potion cassette no way yeah, really? the, yeah there's an artist uh he was a photographer named hal painter and he was doing an article in 1966 about this recently opened um uh ch- new church in san francisco called the church of satan with this man named anton yeah. LeVay, which now we all know Ah, uh, the article never came to fruition, but he needed photographs, so he had my parents get, get in these robes and go out and do these satanic or satanic quote unquote hippie yeah. rituals with this Whoa. like head thing of marijuana, oh yeah, out in the forest. So that's what <laughs> that those photographs are. My mom, yeah, my mom and dad, yeah, that's awesome.
3: That <laughs> that's so that's cool. cool. So yeah, there's yeah the the split with Ramirez, scream for your killer. Of course, Ramirez, You know we're you know we love Richard here. Uh, so that was, that was great to see. And then, and then Matt Widener's a part of that as well, right?
1: Oh yeah. He did like an opening little uh, Giallo kind of theme for the thing, The whole idea. If you look at the the song titles, it basically tells the story. It's like a, a story of a Giallo, like a Giallo yeah. that doesn't <laughs> exist. And so the story, t- the, each of the, I say song, Nick, like it's music, the song titles, <laughs> Are, you know like 30 words you know it's like this whole description of a scene and then it just cuts through to the, to the thing i don't know i had never seen anyone else do something like that so i thought oh that's kind of cool you read the song titles i thought it'd be rad if you're in your car and it's like scrolling by then the killer goes to the thing as the song it, title, never, stops, yeah. it never stops <laughs> yeah I like it through the whole piece but it, yeah I, I was yeah the technology hadn't caught up to the idea yet so uh, that didn't work out but yeah, so that was sort of the idea with that, and then I had a bunch of paintings, and we in a patch and stickers, and then I also just a, you know kind of a prick move, I guess we I did them on CDWs, uh, like so they're they're gonna die within like fifteen years or whatever the shelf life for CDWs is, like so that's like noise that will will disappear over time. But, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool,
3: <laughs> decaying <laughs> like us. And Nick, what about you? What have you been up to these days?
2: Um, you know, after I came to Seattle and kind of, I moved to Seattle and that was kind of the end of blister pack. I think basically, Emerson, you were finishing school. I think also what was going on. So we kind of naturally that just happened, obviously, and it was going to be difficult to kind of figure out um how we were going to continue especially because it was a live thing like we just don't want to do it over the phone or like here i'll do two tracks and you do two tracks over the you know what i mm-hmm. mean um we wanted to be together and um hey we forgot to talk about hulk smash oh yeah we to talk about hulk smash um um we'll do that off the record yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but anyway yeah so i came to seattle and that's when i started working on kind of like more sculptural stuff and so um, one of the things that I've done is I started working with a group called Degenerate Art Ensemble. They're like a Bhutto orchestra. Mm. Oh, cool. They're in New York now, like at the Borishnikov Center, like working on their next piece. I don't work with them so much anymore, ever since I had kids, and kind of like have you know the 50 year old life now but you know I, I'm, I'm working on pieces sculptural pieces really slow but that's basically what the what the time in between bolster pack and now has been a lot of that um we t- i toured europe with them and uh san francisco and other places and built a lot of like really large scale set pieces for theater Oh, sick. um yeah. And, um, did like an installation at the Fry art museum at which Emerson, wait, no Emerson, you didn't take those pictures. Someone else took those pictures. Yeah. Somebody else took them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. A, I have them on my computer. big installation at the Fry art museum is part of, part of their retrospective here in Seattle. Yeah. Just doing little by little, you know, printmaking and sculpting and stuff like that. And Emerson and I have some kind of collaboration that we're supposed to be doing, but I'm slacking because yeah, life. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. basically it.
3: And then, uh, of course, Gray mentioned the Hive double cassette, and we've referenced Hive being a, your great solo project, which fortunately ha- did get a reissue a few years ago, so it is a little more available to pick up. Either way, if you can get an original. Obviously, that's the the goal. But yeah. if in the meantime there is a reissue, and it's a pretty much an exact. Repro, no, no, right? no, no, no 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 really hold
1: good. on Luke? no no it's not wait, yeah so Luke wait, from wait. Skeleton, skeleton Dust found us and love he love you Luke yeah he was awesome and he wanted to release it because it was really rare and he said do yeah, you I have a master cassette and I said I don't have like the master masters Nick would have those and he doesn't have them anymore. but I have mine which is virtually unplayed you know pristine packaging and everything. And I've already digitized it. So do you want that? And he said, yeah, sure. Because it's a C90 and a C30 or something. And I said, uh, actually, my version is two C90s. Even Nick didn't remember this. And Luke said, what? And I don't know why you did it one short and one long. You must have, maybe those are the tapes you had. But so the new re-release <laughs> is actually uh, much more material than the original release. So yeah, that's
3: right. That I remember awesome. that now. That's right. Yeah, <laughs>
1: if you're a collector, the original is the way to go. But if you really want to listen to the work, um, the the re-release has much more material, and it's I would even I forgot the word Luke used. It was a beautiful word. It was like this is a critical release or something like that. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is uh, essential, I think is what he said, an essential release. And he he has been aw- awesome. He's just the neatest guy.
0: Yeah, he's great. Got to admit, I've, I've got both here, so I've got my bases covered.
1: Awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's
2: awesome. Yeah, I think he sold out of his, too. Awesome. The re-release, though. That's mm-hmm. good.
0: Uh, you yeah. know, an important question that, you know, we talked about, uh, Emerson, the Giallo reference with your release with Richard Ramirez, which, of course, makes a mm-hmm. lot of sense, certainly knowing him and also yeah. hearing that you and Nick worked together in a video store way back when. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorites from your video store days, guys?
1: Mm uh favorites from my video store days
0: oh god yeah,
1: see that's a very limiting because the video store that we worked at was in the woods so it was, like, <laughs> you know like the foreign film section had maybe three titles and the action <laughs> film section had maybe 600 and the you know the x-rated thing behind the counter was behind the it was better. It was oh yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah there was, there nice. was. That, and that then we was, had uh... boxes in the back to sell to the creepy guys that would come in and be like hey can i go through the back yeah i can go look in the boxes oh, my in god. the back yeah Brown paper baggage. Um yeah, so the video store man, I don't dude, <laughs> I don't know but what about okay? List. So
2: like I think that's one of our initial huge uh, oh, points of bonding was on film, and we used to watch oh, a yeah. lot of underground stuff. Um and the whole film threat. I don't know if oh yeah, know, yeah.
3: You guys so know film threat? Been- Absolutely. We are we we go we as we love Noise movies, especially Dude, that's underground. Crazy. Movies. Okay. okay, so film yeah. threat, Jacqueline, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Okay,
1: find uh one of the early issues with Roadside profits on the cover. So when I was just out of high school, I had entered a film threat contest called Do You Want to Make a Movie. And I had it said remake Citizen Kane, and I made up some story about Orville Redenbacher and uh Florence Henderson from Brady's and all stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and they called me and I won. I won like 10,000 bucks to make a movie. Wow. So I'm in that magazine. What? Yeah. And uh, yeah. And you made so, it? Did you make no, it? I, well, we tried to make it. And it came well, we, out. Okay, so oh, we drove down up. to L.A.,
2: right? Yeah. We, oh God, we Don't, down don't start to LA. from
1: the beginning. You're starting from the beginning. So <laughs> like I met um, the, the guys from Film Threat. They they sent me down there. I, I, I went there. Uh, they introduced me to this movie called The Big Crime Wave, which I got to say is my favorite movie uh by a guy named john pays who i shit you not just started following me on instagram this week so i was like screenshotting it and sending it to my friends like oh my god john pays is following me (laughs) but anyway um so yeah so i met the film threat guys yeah they they gave us a bunch of equipment we we sort of fucked up the equipment the the movie was somewhat of a disaster Uh, In the making of it, it was fun. We were like drunk the whole time, and it was just weird and crazy, and getting people to do the weird ass things. And I won't even tell you what. was it
2: though, Emerson? uh, The
1: story of Andy Jack. Yeah, so it was like this this lady that uh, was accusing this guy of uh, abusing her, and then but then is she crazy or not? And so she locks him in this hotel room and tortures him. And um, what was it based? What was it based on? What 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 are you talking about? Oh, the Andy Jack. Jackson. Jackson. Oh, based on Andrew Jackson, who died three times before he became president. That's a whole cool story. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That Andy Jeff. But at the same time, noise related. I'm not straying too far from topic here, guys. Uh, we I wrote to a bunch of people and asking them if they would contribute. We wanted the soundtrack to be noise, and so yeah. Masami Akita said yes. But the movie was never made, and I have some really sweet letters from him. Um, Yoshimi was interested. Uh, mikawa said yes and mother uh uh what's the mother savage band? Goddamn, macronympha yeah macronympha they actually sent a cassette uh limited edition one of one called tasting menstrual bud and like a package and everything and hand-drawn art so i got like you got you can look on my tumblr i think there's a picture of it up on my tumblr uh uh and you, yeah it's called tasting menstrual it's a limited edition of one that's kind of cool they sent that Ro- rogers wow. the other guy's name he was a nice yep, guy too yep. and joe uh sent that for the the thing, but the movie never happened. um uh But yeah, anyway. Production was, issues. Production that's, issues a, that's what we'll call it. Yeah.
3: I, it, it was stuff filmed though, and it just oh, never. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Do you have it today? I think that's
2: what we ended up burning through all the film like really quick because film goes really fast through the camera. It's not yeah, like video, yeah. right? And this yeah. was 16 millimeter? It was 8 millimeter. Yeah. Eight millimeter. But we just burned up all our film really fast.
1: Yeah, they gave us exactly 100 minutes of film and we were thinking we're going to do a feature length movie. So (laughs) we didn't know, you know, like, oh, really, there's take one and take two. Like, no, we're just filming people torturing and then the actress quit and then. So we got a bunch of other chicks in there, like he's going crazy. And then it just got fucking wild and weird. And it was all much of it was out of focus and it was just a freaking mess. It would probably all the footage you edited together. If you you could cut it down to like a pretty killer, like five minute kind of <laughs> fucked up music video or something like, but like as a movie, there's no way in God's name. It, yeah. it just wouldn't work. I want
0: to see that five minute movie with the macro yep. soundtrack.
1: <laughs> yeah. <with the> <laughs>
0: Turned wow, into a,
1: that's
0: so a cool. thing yeah uh nick what about you favorites from the video store days or just favorite favorite movies as ex-video yeah, store employees just, just, yeah.
2: oh, what uh so uh, there's some there's a lot of stuff like from the video store this doesn't have to do with films at all but um uh, like like 269 don't we have oh, a track yeah, called yeah, we have a
1: track called 262 that one People, i don't like, think has ever been released it might be on the on the uh on my uh, 2629 did not get released no Damn. that was just one between you and me dude it might be on the band are camp. you
2: kidding oh. ultra rare you know we watched a lot of like what at that point like what italian horror yep. so i'm looking on my band camp yeah it was
1: protocol
2: that was the that was the one where nick is screaming
1: i2mc3po um that is the the one that i released what on there I don't know what fuck it, whatever. We were just screaming <laughs> shit. <I guess. laughs> and then um I forgot I did a mix with GX Jupiter Larson. Uh, oh yeah. Because he was like way into to wrestling and I was like Yes. yes. Cool. yes. So oh, boy. that was kind of fun. And then Swing Brothers Swing, that was our big release that we did on Plague Perspective. That one so had like
0: a hundred copies. Right?
2: Like, you yeah, guys that's what Trini's was. That's the, the Mother's that Do you know what the what the origin no, of that please, idol please, please do
0: tell.
5: No, I don't.
2: Oh. So Mighty Morphin Power Rangers there was a character named Trini who in the American version was an Asian woman but in the Japanese version that they dubbed it from was a dude so the action sequences would have the dude because the act you know the actresses that would actors and actresses that would speak on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers weren't the ones that were that, that was the Japanese cast right mm-hmm. There was this character Trini on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but when she'd fight, she'd have a big wad because she was a four legs. she'd be doing hiking and stuff, there Wait, be this big, like, she was mask, the yellow? Like was trotch. she yellow?
1: Yeah, she was the yellow ranger, yeah, of course. I yeah. very much and, remember on, that, you're going to yes. make the Asian person
2: a yellow yeah. ranger? <laughs> <Yeah.
1: thing>. Aww. <laughs> And then Nick told that to Joe and Joe was like, I don't do funny stuff. I'll, I'll do. Yeah. I'll find he something to, that's so funny. He like
2: a, a, a nun raping yeah. another nun or something. Like a naked yeah. nun. And that to him, Which that was funny. We were funny. kind of like appalled by, because like yeah. we were, I mean, we we're all about comic books. You know what I mean? Like I said, there was this sort of lighter tone to, despite the fact that we also were like actually, you know, we actually probably would watch a movie about a nun raping another nun. Like if it was Italian and you know what I mean? Like we had those interests too, but for some reason for blister pack, we wanted it to be like, really, really like, just the opposite uh, of what everyone else was doing. Yeah. Like, you know, like yeah. Marvel comics and stuff like that. Marvel comics at that point was not cool. It was not like, now it's like obviously the coolest like intellectual property on the face of the earth. But at that time it was not going to get you a chick to, to be like, I'm I'm so into cool. uh early daredevil. Like, yeah.
3: I mean, yeah. awesome.
5: the best. arguably cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: <our show. laughs>
1: oh wow uh, Hulk smash too I wanted to just briefly and you guys can oh, cut Hulk it smash. or keep it Hulk smash was another project that, and that was um, we also just would make bands to be on the radio show all the time but Hulk smash was uh, our idea of an acoustic noise uh, trio. So there were three of us in the band, and we had no pedals. It was just the microphones and us screaming and jumping around. But it was me, Nick, and my dog Ty, who was an Australian Shepherd. It was real wild. And we'd loop a, um, uh, uh, a contact microphone because nick used to build them from radio shack and mm-hmm. loop that uh around his collar and then we would wrestle with ty and scream and there's some great <laughs> recordings of you know, the
2: room with like garbage though like yeah. there would be like all kinds of stuff for us to break and yeah. we just set. The, it was it was like half professional wrestling half
3: yeah. noise, right
2: we so we set the stage for all these yeah. things for us to break and contact mike the dog and
1: we thought well let's try it you know, I, we don't know what it's like. It's going to sound more like uh, Masona Live or something. And it's fucking horrible. <laughs> so that was never Luke from the Skeleton Dust was like, please, I want to hear it. I want to hear it. And I'm like, I can't. I, I just can't. I listen. to If we layered
2: it, it enough, it would actually sound rad. Like, it we might. Had done there's takes some great other.
1: screams from Nick when he's being mauled by Ty. Like, Ty just got a hold of his arm, and Nick's like, ha, 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 no, no. <laughs>
4: No, no,
1: like just screaming. And so (laughs) if you layered those, it might be okay.
3: But oh man. I like the idea of the shepherd in the group.
5: That's fantastic.
3: So great. Well, man, this was so fun talking to you guys. This is a great Ah, look back. Thank you so much. You know, back into some great 90s noise, back in the mountains of California. Thank you.
1: Mm -hmm. You scared me when you 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 were like, uh, hey, I want to interview you. And I'm like, um, I kind of need Nick to be there. Like, I don't know. I, you I, know, I, I, so I don't remember movie. half this stuff. Yeah, this, I'm so, so, glad, glad, I'm so glad that it's this great. all
3: worked out. I'm yeah. so glad that you recommended having uh, Nick on. And so um, th- all of this was just a really great conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time mm-hmm. to talk to us and go. Back down the memory trail, down and up the mountain, past some serial killers, <laughs> past some video stores. Saw a tree and Missing that, the Merz show, but then catching him a few years later. <laughs> All this path has been great to go through with you guys. So thanks yeah. so much. This is so much fun. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I appreciate
2: it.
5: You have been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 20 years by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com noiseextra noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.